0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, I have two successes. First, um, I had the privilege of just baptizing my son, which was... Which was a blessing, and I, I, I had my daughter and my son over there, my oldest daughter, Isabel, and I had my arms around him, and I, I said to them something, and I, it's just a father's heart for a moment, but I said, you guys have a voice to, our, to your younger siblings that I'll never have as a dad. I said, you're going to be able to preach to them in ways that I just, their hearts will be open to. And I was just, I was so excited. The second win I had is I took off my microphone and took my notes out of my pocket. So the, the, neither one of those were ruined while well, I baptized him. So um, two wins there in one sense. So, um, hey, we're going we're gonna to be reading um, a story of, of Levi from, from Luke. Um, I'm going to read this real quick and then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into that. So um, let's start. Um, Luke 5, if you happen to have it, it should be up on the screen in front of us um, here. Luke five twenty seven says this. After he, that is Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind, got up and began to follow him. Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people, sinners, who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them and said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray real quick. God, we need your help to faithfully open up this passage. We pray for thus that you would give us hearts to hear, words to speak and a willingness to follow you in your name. Amen. So in the uh, late 1930s and early 40s, um, as the German war machine marched through Europe, conquering nation after nation, there was something that they set up um, in the communities and cities that they, they, they conquered, and they called them Judenrat, which just meant Jewish community. Um, but here's, here's the challenge or the problem about this. They, the, the, the Judenrat was basically a go-between between the Jewish community and the Nazi army. But they hired people to do these roles who were out of the Jewish community. And, and here's the job that they had. The job that they had was to take items, money, anything they could find value to re- then use or resell in order to fuel the German army. And it got worse than that. As, as the need for labor increased, these, these, these community Judenrot characters were asked to recruit or select or escort people, Jewish community members, um, to, the, to the camps that ultimately we know as concentration camps to serve in some of these factories. You can imagine, that's a pretty uncomfortable conversation. Think about this from a perspective that these members of the community, those who were in the Judenrod, would have sold out their own people, their own neighborhoods. And they would have felt a level of betrayal. And you can imagine the community would have hated them. See, in this story we're here right now, this character Levi, that is who he is. He's not working for the IRS he doesn't have a desk job somewhere. He actually was the go-between between the Roman Empire that was marching across the known world and had conquered Israel and the Jewish community. And his job was quite similar. He had the backing of the Roman army to go and collect what they needed to continue to fund the Roman work. This would have been a a betrayal at a level that the community would have felt. And so, if you were reading this in the Old Testament, you wouldn't have needed the setup that I had given. You would have known this from the get-go, that these guys were not good. And this was a tough, tough position. And this is the story that we have here, that we have before us here. And, and, And the reality is, is that this is the, this is the remarkableness about us is what Jesus does in this man's life. And that's what we're going to look at today across a couple of this. But I did want you to see the level of hurt, betrayal, and what a bad guy in reality this Levi was. So let's look at what happens here. In the very first part of the passage, the passage says this, he, that is Jesus, noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And I want to break this apart in a couple things. First of all, Jesus noticed him. Do you see the hope in that? Even from the very beginning of the story, Jesus, we see the heart of Jesus who saw this man. And frankly, so many in the Jewish community would have been happy if he was never noticed again, and that if he was simply gone. And yet Jesus, Jesus notices him and he loves him. I love the fact that he knows his name, right? Not some guy. This is Levi. Jesus calls him by name here's a couple things i think jesus noticed what do you think he noticed well i think there's two things in particular that we know i think jesus saw his past likely a bitter and complex upbringing this would have been the slide from jewish hold on i'm getting banned is that better oh i like the clicking in between all right Um, Here here we go. So he would have saw his bitter, complex upbringing, his slide from being a good Jewish boy who was religious on the outside. He would have known his Bible. He would have been living up to the standards of his ethnic community, the nationalism that went with that. He probably voted correctly in the elections. He would have been been a, a shining point for his family and his tribe. But Jesus also saw the internal struggle that ultimately began in Levi's heart, that had him acting out, that saw him pushing away against the standards that surrounded him, maybe even voicing his view of the hypocrisy that he saw and the religion that was ultimately inbred into his thinking. Or maybe he saw the selfish desires that slowly crept into Levi's heart, to be something, to have money, to have power, to have wealth, for the things that he thought would make him happy. Maybe he saw the desperate parents, desperate pastors, desperate community members, who day after day maybe implored him to change his ways, to come back. He would have seen that. And he would have also seen the day that he began to talk to those Roman officials and ultimately pledge his allegiance to the conquering um, armies that ultimately were oppressing his own community. You see, you see, Levi was a man with a past. And the beautiful part about it is Jesus saw all of that. Jesus saw all of that. And the moment he looked and noticed Levi, he would have seen his past in all that went with us. And here's the reality. In our church, this is the case. I, you, many of you have shared some of your stories, and, and most of you probably haven't even. And, and be honest, some of you probably have pasts that you've never shared to anybody. And yet, can I give you something that Jesus notices? He knows your past. And and he notices, and he knows your name. And I want you to be encouraged, if nothing else, from the beginning of this story. That this man, Levi, was noticed by Jesus. And Jesus knew all of his past. But he also knew his current situation. A man of wealth and power. He influenced through control and domineering. He was an outcast from his own people. He didn't have a home there. He worked for the Romans. He was just a puppet in their hands. He was somewhere lost in between. He would have been a man without a country. He'd have been a man without a community. And and he felt trapped. He was a man with an unknown future. And I think sometimes we can also resonate with that. But here's the other part about this. Luke says that Jesus noticed him while he was sitting in his booth. Let's look at that for a second here. I get the sense that Luke's trying to demonstrate a couple of points here. First of all, t- people typically move toward Jesus in these situations. How many, how many times do we see that the crowds almost overran him in this situation? But not Levi. Jesus is walking through, and Levi remains in his tax booth. What, what are the reasons for that? What could possibly have kept him there? And, and we don't know, but, but maybe it's because he recognizes Man, I, there's nothing I can offer. What would I offer him? I'm already a reject of my community. Jesus is clearly popular in my community. There is nothing good that can come out of me leaving where I am to go engage with this Jesus. Or maybe it's more cynical. Maybe he looked at Jesus and thought, that guy's not worth much money. Sandals don't even match, Right? My job, I'm looking for people I can pray on. And that guy does not fit the mark. Not even worth my time to get out of my own booth. But here's the beauty the fact that Jesus notices him, he still notices him. And there's three pieces of hope I want to give you guys. First one is this some of you, this is your past. You've been there. You're like, I was Levi, I was content in my booth, I wasn't going anywhere. In fact, I wasn't even pursuing Jesus. And yet he found me. And when he found me, he changed my life. And I want to give you hope in this, that there are many of you who this is your story. The second piece is some of you have family or friends who you've been praying for, who are Levi. Can I just tell you, Jesus knows. He notices them. And I think there's a, there's a wonderful faithfulness of the continued prayers that we have for those who we recognize, our hearts yearn yearn for them to be out of the booth in which they sit today, the choices that they've made. Third piece of hope is, this is some of you here now. You're like, that is me. I don't even know why I'm here today. Or maybe you've been wondering or feeling this call of Jesus And can I just encourage you that, yes, (laughs) following Jesus is for those of us whose hearts are still in the, the booths in which we sit, the desire to live out our lives. God's notice of us is stronger than the hurt of our past, the uncertainty of our future, or the apathy of our heart. That was Levi, wasn't it? He had a past, unknown future, and he was apathetic at best. And yet, Jesus' notice of him is stronger than all those things. I hope this gives you hope um, that he notices. The second part, or this next part is, and he said to them, that is Jesus, he said, follow me. And he, that is Levi, left everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. And here we see the call of Jesus to Levi. It's simple and clear, but it's so complex at the same time. Let's break this down for a second. First of all, Jesus said, follow me. It's not a command. I'm sorry, let me back that up. It is a command. It's not a question. He doesn't say to Levi, Levi, listen, of all the things you're thinking about, can I just be an option on the table? He simply goes back. And here's what I think is interesting. The call of Levi hadn't changed since the day he was born. Nor has the call changed for any of us. Jesus calls us to follow him. Our bodies, our hearts, our souls were made to follow The God who loves us. And see, so this isn't new, what he's asking. He's just being clear in the moment. Levi, I want you to follow me. And if you're honest, deep down inside, you know this is what you're made for. Levi, it's not about you. It's not about the choices you've made, the kingdoms you've built. It's about following me. It's not about the past you have or the bleak future you may feel you have. It's about following me. It's not about your reasons. It's not about your opinions and well-reasoned arguments. It's not about your thoughts or ideas you have. It's about following me. And I love that Jesus makes this clear. He simplifies it. And it's a simple and clear call. And it's the same one we share today. But here's the other part. It's complex. Maybe you've all been here before. And you felt the call on your life. And, and, and here's what's interesting. Think of all the questions Levi may have asked in his heart. Or just think of the questions you might have had or still have. Here's the first one. Where are we going? Right? Jesus, I hear you follow me. Yeah, yeah I get that. But, but where are we going? Right? If you let me look at the map, I'll be willing to follow you. But does Jesus... Give him the map? Hmm. He simply says, Follow me. Where are we going? What about my past? What can I bring with me? What will happen to all that I've created to this point? What will my parents think of me? What will my community think of me? What will I be doing? I'm, I'm, I've been a tax collector for a really long time. In fact, I'm really good at it. What am I going to be now? How will I provide? What about my reputation? Are you going to make me go back to church? Think about that one. Are you going to make me religious? Are you going to make me apologize to all the people that I've hurt? Are you going to make me follow a bunch of religious rules? Will I be like the religious people around me? Because I don't really like them very much, to be honest. Right? What about the Romans? They don't like it when people quit these kind of jobs. I'm in a very tricky situation here job-wise. Will people retaliate against me? See, I think these questions are often the ones we ask in our heart. And yet, here's here's what I want to get at. Jesus does not go into a lot of explanation with Levi. He doesn't minimize his fears or concerns in this moment. He simply asks him to follow him. And and here's the other part. Would Would our answer change if we knew? So, so the reality is too that um, we often, the following is where we get the answers. Right? Jesus says to follow him, he doesn't despise our questions. He doesn't say, These are stupid questions. I can't believe you're asking them. He cares deeply about the questions that might have been in Levi's heart. But it doesn't change where the answers are found. And the answers are found in the following of Jesus, those things don't get flipped. We don't say, Jesus, here's my questions. I have them all listed out here very nice and neatly. When you answer these and are satisfactory to my liking, then I'm willing to follow you. Jesus simply says, follow me. And we find the answers that we're looking for in the following. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's way harder than it looks, by the way. If you're anything like me, I'm sitting here saying, yeah, 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 I'm going to follow you. That's fine. Where are we going again? I'm, can, we, can we at least negotiate the map a little bit, right? I've got some ideas about location and how we get there and where we're going to go. It's a little bit like Candyland, right? I'd prefer to miss these sections in life and would really, really like to hit these spots on the board if that's okay with you. And, and in reality, God, you've promised to give me good so I know that if I had the map, I would still do good things with it. And yet, that's not what Jesus offers, What I love about this, and what I love about the testimonies of so many of you, is that as you follow Christ, in the following, some of you have been to really dark places as a follower of Christ. I've been to dark places as a follower of Christ, but you know who's always there? Christ. And every one of you has testified, at least to some extent, going, and it was okay, right? Sometimes we don't have the map. Often we don't. And he says, we're going to go places. And he goes, but I will be there with you. And that's the next section I want to talk about here. There's, if you break this apart, follow and me. And I don't mean to get pedantic here and kind of break these words smaller and smaller apart, but they're really valuable, right? So follow, he implies that he's leading. And we will trust him. So this isn't go, Levi. He says, follow. And so wherever he's calling you to go, he promises to be there. And some of you have talked about, and, and, and in my own life, I've experienced these, these moments where it feels like there's very little left. But Jesus says, "I'm there." And that's the "me portion. Follow." And then he, he makes it really clear, "What are you to follow?" And the answer is me." And, and I want to simplify this for a second, too, to help you guys understand this. Jesus is not calling us to follow a philosophy or a church. Or a religion, or the rules of the day. He's simply saying, Follow me. And often we live that out in community, but I don't want us ever to mix those two things up. Jesus says, Follow me. And in doing so, he often brings us into community, but I think sometimes people get that confused. And, and, and here's what I, I said in the earlier passage, and I'll say it again here, is uh, I've told Matt this before and Tyler. I said, listen, when, when our church changes from follow Jesus to follow Story City, I'm out, right? And, and, and I want you all to be out too. So, okay, when we get to that day, we're all done, all right? But I, but I also want you to recognize that we want people to follow Christ, right? That is our goal. Follow Jesus, We can talk about all the differences in between, but we ultimately want people to follow Christ because that is where they'll get their answers met and they'll be able to be discipled and understand who God is. It's more important. These are hard questions that I think Levi might have had, but let's look at his response a little bit. He left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Three things in this section. He left everything behind, all his life's work, Suddenly, put into a new light. What he valued suddenly changed overnight. Instead of the things that his heart yearned for, his ways calculating how to increase his power and wealth in the community was suddenly done. And he began to value something more. Jesus, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. He simplified. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. He left everything Behind he got up, and I love this part here. you think Lucas knows what he's doing? He was sitting in his booth before, and now he's got up. It's produced action in his life. And, and I think about this with great deal of empathy. The guy probably felt incredibly safe. Wherever this booth was, I've got it in my own mind. it's somewhere between like a circus thing and uh, one of those dart-throwing at the fairs. Like I can, that's where I kind of imagine it, like I don't actually know what it was like. You can imagine he felt incredibly safe in there right? This is the world he knew. People were afraid of him. He knew that this was his world. He had created it, and he was now stepping away from everything he knew. This is the empathy I have. I was recently talking to a guy yesterday. He's in the act of leaving a gang, um, and, and, and he's a mess in many ways, and it is terrifying because this is the booth he knows. This is the world that occupies what everything he knows, what am I stepping out of? What am I stepping into? And so he stepped out, he got up. And I think that there's more courage sometimes in the getting up than we give credit for. He got up, and then here is it, he began to follow Jesus. So think about this for a second. What is the word began? He said he began to follow him, didn't conclude, didn't finish. He began to follow Jesus. And so here's the reality, too, of this. He's not done. And to the day Levi dies, until the day Levi dies, he will be Always following Christ. And so, I also want to give us this chance in this room. Think about this. People come into our door and they are beginning. I was talking to a guy who just got baptized. He got saved three weeks ago. He said, I said, You're beginning. You're the beginning of following. And I said to him, Follow well. Begin to follow well. How many bad habits did Levi have for years to come that the church would have been like, I can't believe he still does that? Yeah, of course he still does that. He's learning to follow Christ. And he may never get rid of that thing that drives you nuts. But in the following of Christ, we begin to be more and more like him. Not more and more like the church, more and more like Christ. Do you guys see that? Makes sense? Okay. You guys are way quieter than the first group, by the way. <laughs> so here's the three responses to Levi's call. Um, the first response is levis and we talked a little bit about that but he celebrated with a party with the people that he knew and loved it was his folks the traitors, the outcasts the sinners and just to be clear I want to know this is really clear this isn't a cute bunch of puppies that Jesus loved to pet Jesus is not at the rescue shelter petting the lopsided dot ear dogs that are down on their luck this isn't who they are because Jesus doubles down on that and these are those who are sold out everyone and everything in the pursuit of their own personal interest. Some of these were really dangerous people. The question of why would you eat with them? There was a probably a logical list of these is why I would not eat with these people. And yet Jesus does. Yeah, maybe they had their reasons. Maybe their home life was not great growing up. Maybe their tribe was prejudiced against them. Maybe their access to health care was not good. Maybe their face tattoos were off-putting and, and, and all this. But Jesus calls them something else, and there's a juxtaposition here that's created. Jesus eating with them, in community with them, but he also calls them sick. So these were the people that were morally bankrupt, but here's the difference. They knew it, and they were willing to admit that they were in need of something. And they were in need of a savior. And these are the people that Jesus draws close to. Um, I want to pause for a second here and just talk about something that I think comes up as a natural recourse on this. It's the concept of the social gospel. I don't know if you've heard of that term before. We'll describe it here briefly. But think about how many social issues were present in that room with him. Think about all these people. So tax collectors and sinners. And sinners is this general bucket of all the people that basically had done stuff that basically either got them kicked out of the church or had them leave voluntarily. So this is those who are outside the walls living or being lived on in a way that was just wildly unpredictable and wildly unacceptable um, to the church. These were those, this would have been the hookers, those in the porn industry, drug dealers, homeless people arrogant strategy consultants. By the way, that's my job. Um, Lawyers, mob members, abortion doctors, people from the blank political party. Fill in your favorite blank there. Gamblers, alcoholics, drug users, those who cut themselves to gain relief with scars up and down their arms. These are the fornicators, the cross-dressers, and worst of all, those who love to watch every season of Bachelor on ABC, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My tires are slashed in the parking lot from the previous group, so don't bother. It's already been done to me. So, These are the people who walked away and rejected the church and the community. And some of them had good reason to, to be honest. See, the social landscape would have been a mess at the time. Injustice, racism, prejudice, inequality, bribery. Politics would have been a dumpster fire. Jesus didn't address that with this group. In fact, he doubles down on the concept that this group was in sick and in need of a doctor. See, he doesn't make a very good social activist, does he? That's not what social activists do. They don't look at the group and go, wow, you guys are sick and in need of a doctor. But Jesus has something different that he wants to do with them. He doesn't start a political party. He doesn't propose that they all return to church. He doesn't get new legislation started. He does not address the social ills. He offers them something different, which is heart change. And Think about this for a second. Let me be clear, first of all. Does Jesus care about these issues? Of course he does. But he's also reframing it for the group. He's saying the biggest need each of you has is not the issues around you. Those are important. The biggest issue you have is your heart isn't right with me. And there's only one person who can do heart change and change. The good thing is he's sitting right in front of them, offering that heart change. And here's what I love. Jesus is willing to meet the needs of those who continue to step towards him. And this leads to the idea that that the change we seek is not found, first and foremost, by changing the circumstances around us. It starts with our hearts being changed. And I love this part because I think Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that by dying to save these people and restoring their hearts to relationship with him, he would set on fire their hearts to address the issues around them. But it always starts with the gospel. When you take the gospel out, I don't know what you have left. Because see, here's the thing. Jesus knew everything people thought. He was all-powerful which means he was either a terrible social justice leader of his time or he's trying to reframe how things get changed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want us to be holding both those things in our hearts. How do we seek to bring God's kingdom to the world around us? It's done through heart change. And as our hearts are changed, we look at the injustices around us and move toward them because we know the one who can bring true healing to the hearts that are there and also allow us to bring true change where there's hurt does that make sense okay you can you can find me later if you've got questions the second response we see is the church's response so here's it is the pharisees and scribes begin grumbling saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners two quick observations here first of all they ask the disciples they don't ask jesus notice that Last couple chapters, they've been getting their rear ends handed to him by Jesus in these arguments. They're probably incredibly tired of that at this point, right? Hey, let's not talk to him. Let's talk to his disciples and go through that. But here's the other part. Jesus is the one that answers. They ask his disciples, hoping to not get Jesus' wrath on them, and yet Jesus answers. And I have two things I want to bring out here. Uh, While we represent and are often the hands and feet of Christ on earth, our God is capable of speaking for himself. Take courage in this, especially if you're someone that always feels like you can't get your words right. Right? Man, I wish I could have said that better. I want to give you courage. God is capable of speaking into the moments that we're engaged in. Here's my second one. Maybe you're eager to defend your Savior's honor. and You've become what I call a Rottweiler for Jesus. You leave a mangled mess of people in your wake. In reality, can I just encourage this as well? Rest in the fact that God's kingdom is not hanging on our ability to defend the truth. God is capable of speaking for himself, and he often does. So what what is the objection that the Pharisees have? And here it is. He said that he ate with the tax collectors and sinners, right? So remember, these are not necessarily these cute puppy dogs that we want to pet. So they're asking, why is Jesus eating with them? That was friendship, It was a token of friendship. Why is he eating with them? Why is he choosing friendship with this group of people? You see, these religious leaders had a great deal of knowledge of God. They would have been able to quote God from the Old Testament, who was ironically the God standing right in front of them. They would have been able to outline in excruciating detail what it looked like and meant to follow God and yet miss the point entirely. You see, they would have been able to pick apart each person on that room, tell you chapter and verse what sin they would have committed, what they needed to work on, and provided the 12 step class on how to become a good Jewish citizen again. You see, they tied God to their personal religious goals that centered on controlling the wealth, honor, and nationalistic plan they had set out. You don't hear God in any of that, do you? This was their agenda using religion to further that across culture, ethnicity, as well as political. And here's the thing. They didn't care about the people that Jesus was meeting with. They cared about their political, nationalistic goals. And they felt threatened by this alarming friendship they saw in front of them. You see, the Pharisees had a call as well. They, followed, they, called, they asked people to follow them as well, Right? It wasn't unique that Jesus was saying, follow me. But their call was one of religion and behavioral change, aligned with what they would make you as a good church person. You see, Jesus was interested in something far more transformative. He was calling people to follow him and offered heart and relational change. In reality, Pharisees were no different than Levi. They enjoyed their wealth, reputation, tribal honor, and nationalistic benefits it was just cloaked in religiosity hypocrisy and self-righteousness the problem was in their mind was not was was that levi was playing for the other team they didn't care about levi as a person he had just joined the wrong team he was on the romans team and those romans were persecuting their team and jesus they were asking whose team are you on we like the power and miracles that you have. And you're that nice Jewish boy in the background that you could be really useful to our cause. But why are you playing for the other team? And here's the reality. Do you think Jesus came to save and change hearts such as these, these Pharisees? The answer is yes. See, the follow me that Jesus offers isn't just for, the Le- just for Levi. It's for these who fail to understand what Jesus' call was. And yet, and yet they don't recognize their need for him. So here's Jesus' response. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, Jesus said, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He wasn't calling them righteous. He was basically saying, if you guys don't see you're sick, you're never going to see a need for a doctor. And you don't see that. So in reality, you've missed why I'm here. Maybe you've been a part of this. You know, you you see for the tax collectors, Jesus say that there must be willingness in the call. And, and, And here's the other part. You have to align to God's view of yourself. Jesus calls them to repentance. Again, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to come to. Repentance is a turning from where you've been and a following of Christ. You have to align to the way God views you. And if God says, you're sick, and you're like, not really. It's just a scratch. I can walk it off, right? Jesus says, no, you're sick. You're mortally sick. You are in desperate need of a transfusion of your heart. And if you don't get that, you will die. And here Jesus is calling us to that. And until we get to that moment, we're always going to find it. keep our Savior at, a, at an arm's length distance to say, I think I'm fine. You're useful some of the time. I'll call you when I need you. But for the most part, I'm doing pretty good. That's not what Jesus' call was. And maybe you've, maybe you've had friends, and I want to kind of break this down just for a second. Maybe, you, maybe this is where you, you can kind of think about this for a second, and, and we can talk about the way in which we talk about this, and, and the way in which we often experience this, and, and the patience that I want us to have for those who are walking in this. So for example, maybe you've been—I've certainly been—a part of this. Probably on both sides of this, you have someone in front of you, and you say, "Man, are you? Do you know what you need? Are you ready? Do you know what you need?" And they say, "Yeah, I, I know what I need now. I can't believe I didn't see it before." And you're like, "Yes, what is it that you need?" And they're like. I need a new girlfriend because the other one's a boat anchor. And I'm like, no, you've missed the point. And around they go again, right? Six, 12 months, five years later. And, and they try that out and they come back and you're like, okay, now do you know what you need? And sometimes they go, yeah, another girlfriend. And around we go again, right? And then you can cycle through that, that carousel. But, but there's also the joyful moments where, where you get to be with someone and they say, do you know what you need? And they go, yeah, I think, I think it's Jesus. But, but that's scary. I don't know. How. And the answer is, yeah. Listen, let's follow him together, right? That's the joy of that. That's the joy of these tax collectors and sinners. That's why we do patient life with them because we're imploring them not to change. Listen, your outward thing, we gotta get rid of these face tattoos. They are off-putting. Can, and church doesn't really like that. That is irrelevant to the conversation of following Christ. It might be relevant to finding jobs, but that's a totally separate issue, right? And then, and then we also have the, the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees in our lives, in our own hearts sometimes saying, do you know what you need? Do you see it? What do you need? And they go, yeah, I can't. I'm embarrassed. I, I can't believe. You know what I need? I'm, I need 10 more rules in my life. You know, my list of rules, and I need some more discipline, and I've really got to buckle down, and I've got to read the Bible 14 times in a year because that's what I need. No, that's not what you need. Because you can come back to them a year later and say, How's the rules going? The answer's not so good. They're really hard to keep. I know. Do you know what you need now? Yeah, I need a savior. Yes, that's right. And they say, but it's really scary. And it's really hard. Yeah, let's follow him together. And That's the call that I think Jesus brings into our lives. Does that make sense? Do you guys see that? Jesus cares about both of these people. And he cares deeply about them here's my last part we'll conclude on this I found this interesting on the information um, so I've used the word Levi the entire time so Levi changes his name did you know this he changes his name guess what his name was Change his name to change it to Matthew and let me tell you something else the New Testament starts with four gospels what's the first one Matthew that's him Did you know that that guy who wrote the book of Matthew was this guy right here? He changed his name. And do you know what Matthew means? It means gift of God. (laughs) Do you think he got it? Do you think he understood? Man, I was sitting there in the booth. I had no intentions of doing anything. And God found me. And for the rest of his life, he wanted people to know it was a gift of God. Here's what also is interesting. Matthew records the conversion of Levi as well in Matthew. That's gotta be an awkward moment, right? You're writing, you're like, I've got to, what do I say about this, right? And and when you read it, it reads almost identical to Luke's. So I, I thought of two things when I when I when I read through what Matthew wrote. Who's the center of Matthew's story? It's Jesus. He doesn't explain his past. He doesn't make himself look good. He simply says, there was a guy who had no care for Christ. And Christ found him. And everything has been different since then. That's Matthew's story. That's why we at Story City say, tell good stories. And good stories have Christ in the center. And that's what Matthew does. Matthew does one thing different, though. And this is what I want to conclude with. I love this part. Matthew remembers one more sentence that Jesus said. So when Jesus said, "You don't you, you, people who are sick need a doctor. And if you don't think you're sick, you're never gonna see your need for a doctor. But he says one more, Jesus says one more thing and Matthew remembers this and this is what it is. He says, but go and learn what it means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Here Matthew remembers one more line where Jesus says, go and learn what compassion is. And stop just bringing me these religious overtones of sacrifice. So here I think Matthew is also saying in his own heart, you see, I didn't need rules, religion, Bible reading, ethnic, cultural, political, nationalistic goals. I didn't need that. What I needed was the kindness of God to come find me. You see, Jesus reminds us, and Matthew gets it. We are called to Christ through his compassion, his kindness draws us, and it's extended. And our, our job is to extend that compassion to the, to the them, the those that we find so hard to go, Jesus, really those people? Yes, God goes, I want you to learn compassion so you can go to the them, those that are on the outside that are not the cute puppies in the window, that are the ones that are full of messes, that make church life just a disaster sometimes when you're looking for nice, neat church. They come in with all their habits and all their problems, but guess what? They want to follow Christ. And that is what our heart ought to be. And that's our goal. And so, church, I'm going to end on this. Be generous with compassion. It's the heart of the gospel. And it's the thing that Matthew adds in at the very end that said, I was this guy, and compassion is what I needed. And the gospel is centered on that, right? So John 3, 16, for God so, yeah, love, not judged, not so much truth. He loved the world that he gave his son. That's the compassion we offer. We get it? All right. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll be done. God, we just thank you for this story, God. We are sometimes levi Sometimes we're the Pharisees. Sometimes we're a wonderful complex mixture of both. And yet the call to follow you is identical. God, would you give us the courage to step out of the booths of our own comfort and the kingdoms that we've built to follow you to places that we frankly don't know and that we would remember that we're following and we're following you, the great shepherd who has promised to feed us not always the things that we want, but the things that we need and that we would recognize we're following you. Pray that you'd bless us at Story City. Help us to be a church that points people to following Christ above all else. That we'd be faithful to that, that we would never call people to follow a philosophy or a church, but that they would follow you. And in doing so, we would continue to light our hearts on fire, to address the ills that we see around us, to extend compassion, and that we would be patient with those who are in the act of following. I pray this in your name. Amen.